0: hello everybody i'm kp and welcome to million dollar exits a special segment on my main show the building public podcast in this interview series i sit down with founders who went from an idea to building a business and then eventually selling it for over a million dollars hence the name million dollar exits this is something i'm very passionate about and curious about at this point in my career i want to learn and share all the insights mindset shifts lessons and non-obvious tips that are part of this unique journey with the next wave of founders who wanna take this path as well. So buckle up and get ready to be inspired and informed. Here's a special shout out to our episode sponsor, Paralect.com. Million dollar ideas come from every possible niche. If you're a busy domain expert in marketing, sales, finances, or healthcare, and don't wanna spend six months just to build an MVP, you'll find Paralect super valuable. Paralect is a venture studio built to design, build, and launch a product for you that is ready to sell in under two months. Start with no code or go full stack right away. Simply focus on growing your early adopter community and build in public, and they'll take care of the rest. Build your million dollar startup with Parallect.com. Paralect.com. P-A-R-A-L-E-C-T.com. Hello, everybody. I'm KP, and welcome to the Building Public Podcast. I'm super, super thrilled to invite a great friend and a fellow founder who's been through the path probably more than once now, but definitely has documented that journey and, like, spoken about that journey and has given so much to the bootstrapper and founder community in large. Welcome to the show, Arvid Kahl. Hello. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about this. This is really cool. And you're right. It is
1: one of the most important things that that I think that ever happened to me. So I'm glad to share that story in the hopes that it will help other people have that happen to them as well.
0: So talking to you today in 2023, right, as Mm -hmm. we're recording today's March 2nd, 2023, and Feedback Panda, which is the SaaS company that you exited, you know, theme theme of this episode, It's been 2019, is it when did the exit happen? We exited in July 2019, I think. Right, almost four years. I'm trying to picture, like, you know how you read an old book Mm -hmm. again, and the second time you read it, or third time you read it, it hits you differently, Mm -hmm. right? Hopefully, my questions and, like, your reflection on this episode will hit you differently, Mm -hmm. You know, you'll hopefully uh, look at it from a different perspective than what you did, you know, because I remember you did a bunch of interviews at the wake of the exit. So hopefully this will be different. So for folks who are not privy to the background story, I'll read out a couple of lines about Feedback Panda. Arvid Kahl co-founded and bootstrapped and sold FeedbackPanda.com, which was an online teacher productivity SaaS company with his partner, Danielle Simpson, uh, whose room where he's joining us from today. (laughs) We were just joking about that. But he did all of this. They grew the company from zero to 55K. MRR, which is monthly recurring revenue, in two years and went from an idea to exit, a life-changing exit. So that's the background story. You know, Arvid, the opening question that I have is something that I've been thinking about, and you may have seen my tweets about this, is that why are there not enough founders bootstrapping? how can we grow this market? What are your thoughts on this?
1: The problem is that I think it's an educational problem and it's also almost a celebrity problem that we have. Yeah. Like the educational problem is that if you, if you look at most colleges and in universities and the kinds of business education that you have there, not that there's anything wrong with it, right? It's yeah. still accurate and probably useful to the people who go through these programs. but rarely is there a focus on entrepreneurship. And if there is, it's usually on venture capital style entrepreneurship. Right the next airbnb yeah exactly the big things like the the big companies that everybody knows they want to understand how can i work for that company or how can i found a company like this and have other people work for me nothing wrong with that at all but obviously we need them not sure if we need airbnb or we need uber you know like they are replacing something that existed before and now people find hmm maybe that wasn't that bad but that is just what entrepreneurship is it's an experiment to see if an alternative approach to something is better and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't so so well, universities focus more on the kind of corporate enterprise stuff, and you get taught the important things to succeed in that world, which is great, but you don't really get ever taught how to build an, a small business by yourself, right. how to build a business just by yourself. Lifestyle businesses, in a sense if you think about the university as the educational part of the economy, you want big businesses because they employ a lot of people. Right? I'm generalizing here, obviously. Right, but yeah. if you have the choice in educating one very bright person, do you want them to build their own software as a service lifestyle business where they just build the thing by themselves, exit it, and then sit on a beach all day for the next couple of years? Or <laughs> do you want them to lead a company that employs like thousands of people? Yeah. You know, That's the kind of choice you have to make as an educational institution, and I would guess that they will go towards the let's empower them to empower more people to find work in the societal sense. So the educational systems are aligned with creating more people that will found gigantic venture capital financed businesses. I guess they are also financed by these venture capital funds. So there's mm. this whole thing going on there. That's right. the educational arm. And then there's just like who we look up to. If you look mm. at the Peter Thiels of the world or right. the Elon Musks or founders of these gigantic businesses, right. all these VC businesses, we don't really have like big, we, we are not big fans of indie founders because we never hear about them. Mm, if you go to TechCrunch, right. like when does TechCrunch ever report about any bootstrapping like right. activities? Even if, and I think the, the rarest thing that I saw was when 1Password had a kind Watch. of, a, they raised, it was a bootstrap company that was wildly profitable. And the only time they really made it on TechCrunch was when they raised some <laughs> money. Right. You know, it, it really doesn't seem to matter. Even if there's an exit of a super profitable bootstrap company, if there is no investment involved, they don't really care. Right. And since they don't care, they don't communicate what happens in the bootstrap world. People right. don't see that it's possible. It's like right. you need your, you know, the examples in the world out there yeah. to start things like this yourself. And if right. you don't see them, you don't do it. So I guess it's a both educational and just yeah representational. influential.
0: yeah, representation. So, I mean, that's a great answer. and It kind of makes sense as I think about what's around me as well you know and and so the last forty years right for you know what i've been up to right i was in venture-backed companies mm-hmm. both that on deck which was at one point one of the fastest growing at companies education company not really a tech company mm-hmm. but was venture backed and then day one so I, which is also in front of by gary v you know i was on the venture path and the market's so different now right and mm-hmm. i think uh the valuation numbers have, have plummeted dramatically And as, but like a lot of my friends, a lot of my circle, a lot of my network have been in these companies. And so, I mean, I have, I I feel like I'm one of, a, am one of the weird unicorn, like, you know, cross match or whatever kind of people where I have friends like you who are in the indie world. Mm -hmm. And I also have friends who are in the VC world. So I have friends in both circles, but what I'm seeing is, you know, a tremendous amount of stress in the VC backed friend circles because the valuations have plummeted and nobody wants to fund the next round given in this climate. They, and suddenly all of the, the narrative of growth, 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 growth has shifted to profitability. Yep. It's kind of like, you know, it's like, it's just like, and so a lot of my founder friends are in amazing stress because it's like somebody stolen oxygen from them. Like they just like switched up what matters more. Yep. So they're asking for Unbelievable, ungodly, and unprecedented metrics at city sale level. It's crazy from an indie perspective because those metrics should matter. I mean, should, you know, like what they're asking for profitability should have been thought about from day one. But like generally, the narrative that they've been fed for the last four or five years in the bull market was it's all about growth. Just show us the month over month growth. You know, profitability doesn't matter. Bottom line doesn't matter. So now there's a big conundrum in that world. A lot of founders who are incredibly ambitious and talented and bright are having to really take a hard look of what should I do next, right? Should I shut my company down, return the rest of the money back to the founders and then build a small bootstrap company. So I had like a DM this morning from a very prominent investor at Hustle Fund who reacted my, to my tweet about saying, KP, congratulations, you're on the right path. Because my tweet was that I'm reassessing what I want to do and I want to build a bootstrap company. Mm-hmm. And he's congratulating me saying, this is so great. You know, as an investor, <laughs> this is my best <laughs> advice. Do this, don't get into this, you know, 10 year journey. Cause a lot of folks don't understand. I think this is Arvind. That was my biggest lesson spending time at the venture companies is a lot of people don't understand that raising around is not be all do all. Like that's not the Holy grail. No. Although that's what's celebrated you're raising around. It's almost like you're kind of like buying a ticket to a 10 year mm-hmm. journey with it on a train. You just can't get off. Yeah. So unless you really are passionate about a particular problem, want to spend 10 years on it, you know, you shouldn't get on that train. And I wish a lot more founders really understood this dynamic yeah. early on before they went and pitched some VC. Yeah. So, I'll pause there. Any thoughts, anything you want to add? Anything, any other question you want to throw in there?
1: I like the, the whole 10-year thing because, like, in a way, entrepreneurship is always commitment over a rather long time to something. But the question is, who controls the train? That's yeah. always, that, that's what I find very interesting, right? Like a 10-year train ride? Sure, if, if you tell the train how fast it goes and where it stops, you know? or where it goes and what vista you will see from outside the window, that's a totally different story than this is somebody else's train and you have to
0: shovel coals for it to keep yeah, going. Okay? Yeah. So, the so you have more folks in the engine room who are dictating which destination we should go yeah. than if you had just a calm train. Yes.
1: Right. It might, it might be slower and you may not be able to reach those destinations, right? Because they're too far away or in places where you need to, there's a super high slope and you need a high energy train to get there or whatever we need for this metaphor. But the idea is that at least you have control over this train and if you direct it, you will still get to interesting places, right? So entrepreneurship is always going to be a long-term effort. The question is like, how long is it and who controls it? And commitment is always important, but the the question is, what do you commit to? Do you commit to the idea that you have? Do you commit to the team that you coming in with or the market that you want to be in because there are many ways to do this, right? You can right. you can even commit to the investors that give you the money and then just figure out something with them that kind of uses your talent and their capital and kind of combines it into a business. In the world of we see a lot is possible and a lot has been made possible and kind of also expected from people in this world. Growth, you you just talked about it, was the metric. If often the only metric, profitability was not. And now we see this shift towards profitability being something that, people would like to see because it, right. you know, it, it kind of there's a bottom line. You, it's not all completely speculative. The benefit of profitability, obviously, is that you have money, like you don't need to add more money to keep the thing going. That's kind of the train, you know, that kind of has solar panels on it that for some magical reason produce enough energy to keep the train going. But <laughs> I, we should
0: stop with this train <laughs> at this point. I should well, actually. I have another analogy coming up for you. So <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward, forward
1: to that. But what I'm trying to say is like bootstrapping or self-funding, so I think the more general term for this, it has to be profitable because we have extremely limited capital as individuals so whatever we build it might still have hyper growth right it might still like tap into something in the market and then then explode i've seen bootstrap businesses that look at one password that's a good example that yeah, I mean, is yeah. everywhere right they can have a gigantic Canada, market and they are a small small company i think they're actually from somewhere here in ontario like there's a couple towns over from where i live there's a i think a one password uh, park or something like a tiny sponsored park because that's the town that that the business was founded in or the founders live in. So like these are local small companies, you know, if you you think about it, that serve everybody. Like that's just just crazy. Like we literally used 1Password in exiting our business to hand over the credentials to our business, to the people who bought our business. So we could get those millions that you are talking about. It's like like that is an integral tool in so many tool chains. And it's just a bootstrap business or it was until they raised and did some kind of uh, financial magic to keep growing the business but they were bootstrapped for the longest time. And so they weren't beholden to anybody, which is that the thing I want to hammer back on here is that in times where nobody is sure what's going to happen, as an entrepreneur, I would rather be beholden just to myself and all the mistakes that I might make than somebody else's view of the future that may or may not be true and have their money dictate what I have to do, which is why I'm talking about bootstrapping all the time. Why I recommend it for everybody at least to try because it's nice to know when you don't have a boss how that feels. Right? Yeah. And you still have a boss as a VC-funded founder. It's just an investor,
0: not yeah. a CEO. Right. And especially when the climate is like how it is right now in the macro climate, you know, and you're seeing like in the last three, four months, I've been a full-time founder. And I, I was sharing that with you at the beginning of this, you know, conversation. I had my own share of ups and downs. I had my own share of like self-doubt and struggles. I was like, oh, where's my next client coming from? Where's the next oh. source of revenue coming from? But man, oh man, I wouldn't trade that for being in the pressure cooker that my friends have been in the last three months that I know. They're shutting down shop in the next two, three months with the VC-backed companies. And they're unbelievable. And they're all envious of my lifestyle. And actually, I'm not that happy. I'm not that, like, crushing it. Like, I'm making, you know, decent salary. I'm making decent money. But I call my shots. If there is a day that I want to take day off, I can take it off. If there is a day that I want to write 15 tweets, I can write No No one's like the other benefit that I want to like, we should highlight about what we both do is I could do whatever the heck I want that week. Like in a random week, I have a new idea. And so like the other day, somebody called me and they're like, Kipi, how are you doing all these things in parallel? And I'm like, because nobody, I don't need anyone's permission. That's the <laughs> yeah. answer. Why yeah. am I doing the million dollar exit podcast? Cause I'm curious. That's the answer. That's it. There's no other blessing I need, but to pull off any of these things that I'm doing right now, both, you know, at any of my companies that I worked before, I would have needed their permission. I would have needed to make sure that it fit with the KPIs of the quarter. And I would have needed to make sure that the, CEO is happy. Like, you know, there's so many levels of uh, permission and like, oh, are you all aligned in one strategy? No, you know? So I think not having too many people in the cockpit, you know, or in the engine room is so much more peaceful. I'm dealing with my own shit myself. I have friends like you, I can ask advice on, and they've been very helpful, but I don't have any noise around me. No, like I don't have any more critics or people who are calling shots on my destiny. You know, as crazy, it sounds like I am the creator of my own destiny. You know, it sounds crazy, but it's insanely empowering. Yeah. You know, that means some months I just want to do a $3,000 a month and I'm fine. And some months I'm doing 15K and that's fine, yeah. right? Yeah, um, and that is not for the faint of heart, right? That's like, not for the faint of heart. <laughs> the instability of this at any level, like
1: even when we were in the last couple months before we sold the business, let's, let's kind of bring this into the conversation a little bit. There, there still was a lot of pressure on us because the bus factor, the what happens if one of us gets hit by a bus yeah. in a team of two is incredibly high. Like it felt it was almost a team of one because either of us did things that the other person couldn't do. So, you know, like I couldn't do the design and the product work that Danielle was doing, and Danielle couldn't do the programming and the whole system administrative stuff that I was doing. So either way, if one of us was not available, that was a problem. And it was a problem that we felt extremely strongly. Like, just prior to even having the conversations with potential acquirers because I've noticed ever since that I was in a very very dark spot like from my mental health perspective at least back in the day it wasn't very clear to me I thought oh yeah this kind of feels like burnout that I had before but not the same so it's probably something else now that I look back at it I was mid burnout when I thought about this already I know that like I had heart I still have my heart rate readings for my Apple watch back then and they were like they were in the the 90 to 120 on like in a normal day, wow, yes. And even talking about it gets me flustered. So it's a very visceral physical reality to these kind of the pressure that even a bootstrap business with at that point, five and a half thousand customers, it was a lot of people that two people were responsible for that put a lot of pressure on us as well. So the pressure is never really off just because it doesn't come from somebody else. It kind of comes from yourself if you need to. One of the problems that we had at the time was that the business itself was our most valuable asset. Like no questions asked. Like that was the thing that We had, we didn't have much savings. We didn't own a building that had no real estate or anything like it had no, what came in in a month went out just kind of paycheck to paycheck situation. And the business all of a sudden was worth millions of dollars. So the pressure to keep the business alive was on, right? Mm -hmm. So you have this thing, which is awesome, but you kind of, you think about, oh, what happens if it goes away, right? right? And full disclosure, I guess, Feedback Panda itself has closed at this point. Like the company that bought us, kept us running then the Chinese government made some crazy changes in, in terms of what is allowed on their internet in terms of online education and what is not. And all of a sudden, the business model of the companies that we supported fell apart. So wow. those people fell apart. The people we were supporting didn't need our product anymore. And it just whittled down ever since. I guess wow. you could say we sold at the right time. You know, this and, could have happened to you too, right? That's what you were worried about. The last thing. few months. Yeah, <laughs> exactly what it yeah. is. I'm glad it didn't happen to me. And it, in a way, it happened to a company that could live through it because sure, Swift Capital, the people who bought the product or the yeah the business essentially, it was one of 30 things that they were running. Right. And you know, like they had other things that could compensate for it. Nobody had to leave their team because our product isn't working anymore. So I guess right. it's a win-win situation even though it's less of a win for them. But that's right. just the reality of acquiring other products, right? You and, never know.
0: And also the just reality of bootstrapping anything, yeah. right? Like I mean, yeah. like you, we just talked about earlier the advertising revenue, like sponsorships on mm-hmm. your podcast my newsletter your newsletter i mean the biggest lesson i have and i'm sure you have a version of this in early days and even like probably towards the end of Food Back Panda Is you can never take anything for granted in business in entrepreneurship yeah. everything is earned yeah daily the rent is paid daily right like And so you can't rest on the laurels. Like for a week or two, I was a little illusioned that, oh yeah, I'm KP. Like I'm getting into full-time more. Like, yeah, that's like, I'm KP. Like it's okay, right? And then (laughs) like reality punched me in the face and I started opening up my Calendly spots and like sharing that with some of my potential clients and say, yeah, I will talk to you. I'll talk to everybody. I will do sales all day. I'm like, I was super humbled. And I'm like, okay, you know, every sale matters. And as I was sharing earlier, the first $200 that came in, to advertising revenue. I almost wanted to like give a hug and a smooch to that guy. I'm like, you just don't know how much this means, you know, because it's a domino effect. Now after 17 clients and ads, the 18th client is easier. But the first person to take a shot on you just really, really means a lot, you know? Um, and you're right. You have to earn it every every
1: single day, every single week. I have a little anecdote here because you were talking, uh, you were telling me who else is going to be on the show. Yeah. And you mentioned Andrew Gazdecki. Yeah, yeah. Um, The Micro Acquire team or now Acquire.com, they have been sponsoring my podcast and my newsletter, or I think my, the many versions of my podcast, the interviews and my, my regular Friday show for over a year. And I thought this is going to go on forever until it didn't, until they mm-hmm. decided to rebrand. And then all of a sudden priority. Shifted for them, and they said, We're not going to continue our sponsorship, and maybe later, but right now we just can't. And I was like, No, the great sponsor of 50 plus episodes does not want to sponsor anymore. My world is falling apart. Obviously it didn't. Obviously I found other people who wanted to jump in and take that spot as well. But it felt like I took this for granted. Like I thought this was gonna go on forever, but it didn't. I'm glad it wasn't because it allowed me to reframe my own perspective on this. And I had a conversation with Danielle about it. And she also said like, this is probably better for you than keeping them as a sponsor because that is that could lead to complacency or to you know delusions of grandeur or whatever it could be it it would not be as helpful as having to go out there and acquiring new sponsors because that also allowed me to increase my price and all of a sudden i'm making more right like all of this has positive consequences if you take them but you still have to work through it every week and i do the same still like i'm in episode 194 Five. like that's going to be out tomorrow as of the time we record this and i'm still trying to fill my slots of sponsors every single right. week like i is, it, there, i love it i session? love it actually so every time you
0: put something out there it inspires me to do it too i'm like okay i was doing it and i think that's that's the thing that i was trying to get across to someone who's listening it's easy to think oh you have an audience oh you already have like uh some credibility or brand you know yeah. So in that example of microacquire like ending that contract for whatever business reasons, like, you know, I'm sure a lot of people would think, what? No way. Arvid Khal doesn't have to struggle. But my favorite part is that even freaking Arvid, God has to struggle. Like Everyone has to struggle. Everyone has to persevere. And I mean, the only difference is from five years ago to me now is that these kind of punches, you know, that reality gets me, punches me in the face or whatever. My recovery rate and my recovery time has gone down, right? Like I just get back up in a day or half a day and like dust off and like, all right, what's next? That's really what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's really what it is. I'm sure you feel the same, right? Like back in the day, this would have hurt me like for a week. Yeah, probably may have stopped altogether, right? Who knows? (laughs) No, it's not for me. I will never make money.
1: And then you stop. But uh, you just have to kind of try other things and figure it out. You you develop a sense for it too. I think recovery rate, the speed of recovery, that is a great way of phrasing this. Because whenever I run into something like this, like, meh, look at it tomorrow. There'll be a way. Right. That's, that's, it's just your experience with how to deal with these little failures that are just tiny bumps in the road along the way. If you look at them retroactively, Yeah. You know, it's just what it is. That's what business is. We're all
0: competing what in a way, that's right? That's what business is. Yeah. And like, the it never gets easy. You just get stronger. I think, and you just, I feel like the other thing to you, Arvid, like I am, as a full-time founder, I'm way more humble than I was when I was. Yeah running like the and leading teams and like being under the brand of on deck and day one, because I was not, I didn't have to be that hungry because my paycheck was covered. Yeah. I could just right. be me and people would pay me. I was like, yeah, you know, I don't like, yeah, I don't need to do that much of customer service. Cause I was yeah. like, you know, now I'm like, you know. The level of hustle and the hunger, like my wife, even the other day told me she came to me and she said, "I'm so proud of you now, you know." And I meant, meant a lot because my wife doesn't give a shit about my business and things. "Yeah, it's like she's like you could be a hot shot, I don't give a shit, right?" And, <laughs> That's and the like, why do you say that <laughs>
1: Did
0: Daniel like that too. He calls me semi-famous in the yeah, community. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, the same thing. She, my wife's like, she even made a account just to troll me and roast me, and she, she's lost interest <laughs> in that too. But she said, and I, I asked her why, and she goes. Like, you relied on your skills and your talents and all your other things when you were at, you know, all these companies. Now I see that you're just so hungry. You just, I can tell that you're so humble and hungry and like you want every dollar to, and I think this is the message for anyone who's listening and who's tuning in. Maybe they're wondering, why does this feel like an uphill battle? It will feel like an uphill, no matter what, where you are, you know, no amount of Prior success, like the net new customer who's coming into your pipeline, who's trying to decide if they should put the 200 or 300 into you or your brand or in your SaaS is evaluating that based on their priorities, not because it's R with color, or it's because KP is in the, it doesn't give them, doesn't matter in that scenario. So that was my take away and I'm so I'm hungrier I'm sharper I'm more alert and so I'm like loving it man you know it's keeping me in good shape I'm also really happy for you that that you have a partner that is a no bullshit partner (laughs) (laughs) keeps keeps you
1: grounded because I have the great great wonderful benefit of such a partner myself and it really helps me not to you know lose my perspective because honestly if you have like I just recently got to yeah, 100K, a now, yeah, yeah, And on, on Twitter, which is a mind-blowing number. It makes makes no sense at all, but it really makes no difference in in our household or in my life, really, because I'm still just a person among so many others trying to get stuff done every single day. And it's nice to have somebody who tells you that from time to time, because in our echo chambers, it's easy to you know f- so like to that. lose sight of you know, where you, you actually.
0: You know, let's talk about the 100K one for one sec. I think it's mm-hmm. great. I wanted to ask you when you hit... I think I DM'd you that day you hit 100K, yeah, and I wanted to ask you this. In, on air, which is what has changed for you now that you have a 101K audience. Yeah. And I remember when we first met, you probably had like 10 or 15K. It was early days, 2018, 2019, mm-hmm. yeah. maybe not even 10K. Maybe- no, probably know? not.
1: Like t- not 2019, 90- I was like, I started November, 2019 with like 400 people. That's when we Yeah. Okay. Came. Okay.
0: So tell me what has changed about how you communicate, how you express yourself, that the um, first question and then I have a follow up but yeah what I scene.
1: so like twitter dms are almost completely unusable so yeah, well, unless I follow you I probably won't see what you yeah. have to say it's just really yeah. unfortunate but it's just a technical problem I occasionally take the time to go through my backlog of you know message requests yeah but yeah yeah if, you know don't don't expect me to respond immediately unless I follow you then I'll see it but it's it's like communication at that scale is horrible and yeah. even the existing tools out there they make it to only so marginally easier that it's still a chore. It's just right. that the, the amount of it is crazy. Yeah. And interesting enough, I find myself reflecting more on what people might understand what I say to be about. It not to in, in a sense of self-censorship, but I reflect more before I just post stuff out mm-hmm. there. Because I have a rather large platform now yeah. and anything I say will be read by an extremely diverse group of people. Right. And as a white male From a, you know, first world country, I lack a lot of perspective in almost everything that I talk about right. probably exactly everything I talk about so more often than not I get corrective DMs from people from minorities or interest groups that I completely neglected and in, in many ways I really really benefit from that because it, it's I don't want to put that <laughs> uh, burden on them to have to teach me but some people choose to which I'm grateful for but I'm, I'm trying to be more inclusive in how I communicate because I just have a large audience like this yeah. at this point yeah. but the opportunity scape that has opened up for this is crazy like just yesterday I was looking for somebody to sponsor this week's episode of my podcast because didn't have a sponsor yet and like within a couple minutes I somebody had just booked the slot and paid me Yeah, and that's just how how quickly this is I just need to ask a question I always lose a couple of followers who think I'm a sellout which is fine because right. you know people have their right to their opinions but right. I find a sponsor <laughs> which is right. also fine it's, it's always a balance act and that's maybe the core of all I'm trying to say everything becomes a balancing act once you have a, a platform like this everything mm. you say will be used against you in some way hopefully not in a shitstorm or something but people will make up their minds and have their opinions so it it becomes more of a an intentional communicative act I'm still trying to be myself but you know which I I think
0: that I feel like I admire that about you. You know, I feel like at the at that scale where you are, I don't see any difference from what I know about you from back then to now. In I don't have country. the energy
1: to act. Like honestly, yeah, I, I yeah, just you just don't pretend don't, I don't you are care. who you
0: are. Yeah. I, I mean, even on the podcast, your podcast, it feels like you just you, you know. I mean the Arvid that I know in my DMs or in my chats with you is who shows up there, which I love. And I try to do the same, right? I, it's actually <laughs> so, you know, it's so tiring to pretend. Mm -hmm. In like, like a performer. So I think it might take sweet time for me to get to the big numbers, which I think I'm already, you know, amazed at how far I've come, but I'm just thinking, it may just take like, you know, sweet time to get to big numbers on podcasts or on on whatever, but I will just be me so that whoever ends up being in the audience, I don't have to act for them. I can just be me. You know,
1: um the, honestly and that's something that that plays really well into consistency because yeah. if you show up you attract people who like you so you don't yeah. have to keep acting if you are just yeah. yourself right, right. They, they will expect you to be yourself and if you just right. are yourself it's gonna make it much easier and that will increase the resilience that your relationship has and their the churn that you know that your community has goes down and all of that yeah it's authenticity is easiest at scale because it's just the least tiring
0: version of yourself you, know? true, you don't though. need to be a persona if you could just be a person I love it that's a clip right there. So I got a couple questions on bootstrapping. I'm going to run through them. So five years ago, bootstrapping back then was this now with no code tools mm-hmm. that are so easy and cheap to test your MVP, right? Have you seen uh, Peter levels testing with Stripe payment links? Yeah. I'm loving it. And I did the sponsorship, soup. I don't know, like a month ago, I wrote a Twitter thread about the sales pitch, like what I think the product would do. And then I put a Stripe link at the bottom, which is an MRR link, like a recurring mm-hmm. link. I got three paying customers from a tweet thread. <laughs> I was like, what? That's crazy, ninety dollar MRR. I mean, it's not a lot of money, but it's like great validation, right? That's I immediately money, sent right? yeah, well, it's that's- a tweet. Come on, yeah. like, who-, who makes money off a tweet? That'd I know, but, but like, I I had to double check. I had, I sent them calendly invites to do one on ones with me, yeah. and in my DM, I was like, "Are you like? I, I'm just trying to make sure that you're not crazy, right? Like, <laughs> why would you? Well, and that just they just told me, you no know, what validated there was that there was so much of a need that yeah. they didn't even need to see the MVP they yeah. understood what was being built and yeah. the problem resonated and they were like, yeah, we were in. So, and Peter levels is doing that now, mm-hmm. you know, with payment links. So, I mean, it's, it's, I feel like the evolution of validation has come a long way from five yeah. years ago and now with the AI tools and like, you know, with Twitter, the podcast we have and the product hunt launches, you know, I feel like as a bootstrap founder today, you're in a way better space than five years ago. Yeah. Tell me a sense of what it was like for you five years ago. Well, it was
1: very technical. So I was coming from a, from a software engineering background that that has been and kind of still is my background. I mean, how could it not be? It doesn't change retroactively. but I'm still, I'm more of a media like writer kind of person at this point than I'm a developer, even though I occasionally still code. But back then it was all coding. I had a software engineering job back in 2017 when we started the business. I actually had started to work full-time as a regular employee back in 2015 after working as a consultant and freelancer for many, many years. So that was my first real job after a little stint that I did in in San Francisco, working for a San Francisco business, a VC-funded business too. So I was all over the place in many different Mm -hmm. ways. And that job that I found back then in Germany in 2015 was great. I, I was learning the Elixir programming language, which was something new to me that I wasn't experienced in, but the job allowed me to work on it and people were cool, project was cool. And then in just 2017, Danielle was working from home. She needed this tool. I built it for her and we turned it into a business. It's like the shortest version of the Feedback Panda story. I used the exact same tech I used from my day job in that and and built it there because that was the easiest way for, for me to cross transfer my skills. And everything was just built by myself. I had to code everything up by myself. I did a lot of integrations because I, from almost a decade at that point of working as a SaaS developer, I understood that I didn't want to build many things myself, didn't want to build payment, didn't want to build authentic all that somebody else was doing it we just paid for it which is something I highly recommend if you're starting out right particularly now with no codes you can almost integrate everything right just by plugging and playing it all together. That was not necessarily the case back in, in 20, 2017. No-code kind of existed, but not, yeah, particularly not, not in the, the edu- education, with the educational field around it that existed, yeah. Right, yeah. There, there were no no-code accelerators or kind of boot camps or anything like it. You kind of had to figure it all out by yourself or nobody right. would help you. That is right. very different now, but it was highly technical. I still enjoy it. Coding is fun. And if you know how to do it right, which I fortunately knew I could quickly get the prototype out. Preview not as fast as, you know, clicking it together in, in, a, in a web flow or in a on combination of Airtable or some, some kind of bubble app. That would have been much faster than what I built in a couple of weeks, but it was still a prototype and we iterated on it over time. So that was the back then. And now it's very different. Now I would not start a business the same way, obviously, because why what would, would What would be like your playbook now, hypothetically? Hmm. Well, I, I would probably try to, Build it as dynamically on somebody else's platform as possible. You know, like yeah. integrating Airtable as your database into a web flow system that just kind of CRMs or like a content management system on top of it and try right. to write little code snippets that do the heavy lifting, but connecting all of the things together. That right. was probably what how I would approach it, even though that kind of depends on the project, because right, yeah, I, I do run another software as a service business, Permanent Link. This is a little link forwarding tool, and that needed to be a technical implementation because it works with custom domains and like HTTP connection forwarding stuff that is kind of hard to leverage existing platforms that don't have the kind of infrastructure underpinning that I need for that. So that itself is a technical solution as well. But anything that is content related or facilitating data exchange that doesn't dive into the protocols underneath it, you don't need to build your own thing for this. Like You can quite literally build a bubble app or a Webflow system and just set it on top. And then over time, if you need to be technical, you build your technical subsystem and you right. kind of switch it out under right. it, but you definitely wouldn't start with it. I also, yeah. validation would be very different. Like, I'm glad you mentioned the payment links and stuff. You can sell the idea to people much more easily with even right. the simplest of prototypes, if at all. So that I would approach the whole business journey slightly differently, depending, again, on the kind of project.
0: Right. I was going to allude to the same thing, which is like the validation phase of this, you know of a new business idea now it just looks dramatically different even from like okay. 2 years ago when i was validating using no code products I mean, no code tools like i used to build an mvp using bubble you know i built a combination of like softer like Airtable and Softer and like how like a, uh, have a very like compelling, deeply like, you know, five, six pages, like Webflow page, uh, landing page to pitch. And I've learned that, you know, all of that's just addressing, you know, I'm trying to like over, it's coming from a sense of insecurity that I'm trying to like over pitch something where now you can just, test the core mechanism of yeah. is this a yeah, problem? You can, you can
1: send people a, a really shitty link to yeah. some internal subdomain of some platform and right. they don't care because they don't they care. The and if if, if, if yeah. they
0: see that their problem is being first described in a way yeah. that they do not understand resonate with and second if they resonate with the solution, they will not care, you know? And so I think that's like, a, for me, that was a big upgrade I had to make about validation, you know, going forward in everything that I do, I'm not going to spend four days building a web flow, pretty Webflow site or getting a logo or, you know, I, I used to do all that. Like I, even for all my side projects, I have, I would have a logo, I would have a font, all that's bullshit. You know, I just feel like it's either me getting old and not caring about a lot of things, or it's just saying like, you know, No, that I, I don't know.
1: I don't think that's it. But you the first question you asked me was why people don't bootstrap. And I think yeah. it's the same reason here why people build software as if they were enterprise businesses, yeah. because yeah. that's what we see. That's what we are surrounded by. We don't really see these scrappy little projects just in the beginning yeah. when they're working with their first like 10 test customers, their first like prospective users, like the early adopters, right? That's what we call mm-hmm. them. Like early adopters for Airbnb. Like if you look at the old websites, the really, really crappy one, yeah. that, Is comparable to what we do currently as a founder, but we don't see those anymore. We see the polished like apps that have been built by teams of thousands of engineers and by like marketing teams that have this whole ABCD testing of their (laughs) website and all these components. Like that's what we see. That's what we imitate. It's the same thing. Like we imitate Elon Musk, even though we should probably imitate Peter Levels. Like Peter Levels, not Peter Thiel. We should have (laughs) a shirt like that. (laughs) You know, that's that's kind of what what the indie Hacker Credo should be because we should take our own people that do the things that we want to do and see how they build software. And if there's any founder that you should imitate, Peter is a great example because yeah. the thing that he's doing, like he's working on AI products before other companies have jumped into the market and even though there are competitors doing the same things he does with much more money, grabbing his market share away from him, that's just how it works. You experiment, you see what the market does and then you either stay or you pick something else. Right. And playing with new technologies like the Stripe payment links, that is something that he just does naturally. Comes to him. Yeah, this is cool. I can use it doesn't matter if it looks good or not it's going to make me money and that mindset alone is something you should imitate right Right. not rich people doing rich people stuff you don't need to do that you don't need to act like this or you don't need to imitate their business approach do what people who you think are cool in your community do and you're probably up to a much better start After a much better start and have a much more enjoyable process of doing it because you can actually see how and what people do, how and how well it works, and if you can apply it to your own business instead of having to follow these nebulous concepts built by businesses
0: that are fifty thousand times as big as you with mm-hmm. your little business. Right. I mean, I feel fun. like it was it Danny Vasala or, or someone who said who routinely says that you should study more from the folks who are two, three steps ahead of you yeah. than from Jeff Bezos. Right? Yeah, That's true. <laughs> because you keep studying that's the thing and that maybe maybe that's the core message here you keep
1: studying people who are two or three steps ahead of you while you take the steps right you, know, you just they also take more steps so right. if you just keep keep studying what they do you see your path laid out before you because Bezos and stuff like you probably should have studied him in the 90s that would have yeah. been interesting that would right be interesting. or yeah. and and I would love to have a time machine just to see like what his priorities were back then now yeah. i don't care the whole yeah. space stuff he does and the worker exploitation. I don't need to study that, right? No, but right. I would Same like...
0: Same thing with Elon. Like, you know, he's like yeah. so out of touch. I'm like, yeah. I don't need to study this guy. I'd like to see the past, but yeah. not necessarily the present. Right. Okay. So if you have to say, if you have to like sort of reflect on one piece of advice on how to find great SaaS ideas, you're talking about bootstrap SaaS ideas. Mm-hmm. What would be your approach?
1: Uh 100% an embedded entrepreneurial <laughs> approach. Like my, that's all I've been doing over the last couple of years is to be part of communities, listen to what people need and do the thing that they would like to see more of. Mm. Solve the problems that they are most critically complaining about, figure out where things are lacking because they are talking about it, listen, and then use it to create things that they need. That is always for a writer, for a SaaS founder, for an artist, for, for anybody who wants to create things that people find useful or beautiful or just practical, that's the way to do it. Go to where they are, listen to what they talk about, listen to what they are celebrating, listen to what they are condemning, and figure out how you can use each of these to build more of the one of the things they celebrate and other things than the ones that they are condemning that's yeah. what embedded entrepreneurship is. You go yeah. in there, you listen, you shut up, you listen, and then you slowly start talking to them about the things they need. And over time you find ideas, you validate while you talk to people instead of building, 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 and then the throwing it in the market and hoping. You Bye. do it with the people and for the people that are surrounding you. You become a peer, you contribute to their world. And from that comes business. That's how I make money too. That's what Bye. my permanent link SaaS business is. That's why people sponsor my work because they want to also empower the people in the community that I I'm part of and that they're part of. That is how I make money at this point is by being part of the community and listening and building. Right.
0: I love that. Okay. So zero to 55 KMRR, you've seen Mm -hmm. that journey. Man, so many people would love to be on that journey today, you know, who are listening to this pod. What can you remember about going from zero to one KMRR, which I think is a significant milestone, right? A lot of indie hackers that, you know, both of us have in our audience, I feel like they're over planning for stuff that happens at 10K, 20K, 30K, 50K MRR. And I don't think they are as obsessed about going from zero to one K first. Let's Mm -hmm. get there first, you know? So what tips do you have from your experience of going from zero to one K? So with the first users we had, not paying users, but just like trial users. From the start,
1: we had a trial, a 30 day trial for the software, because we figured in our market, 30 days of using the software, which meant like putting your data in that it can be reused automatically through the system. It was a kind of a browser integration there too, that would pull the data from our system into their online classrooms. It was a, a data-driven business, really, or a data-centric business. We knew that within 30 days, people would either have put enough data in for it to be valuable to them to have an automation or not. So a 30-day trial. That's that's kind of the the first step. And within those 30 days, I talked to every single customer I could. Through uh, We had Intercom at the time, but you can use so many different competitors. Just a little chat bubble in the tool. So whenever people had a problem or a question or didn't know how to do it, it was right there, easy to use. People expect the bubble to be present. So if they click on it, they start typing, and the person actually responds that blows their mind. mind, They only get bots or whatever. So I was there and I responded within sometimes 15 seconds of them asking the question. So blows their mind again because they usually have to wait for half an hour. All of that was a focus on getting into a conversation with these people as quickly as I could. Then learning what they need, learning what they don't have, learning what they have enough of, all of this just from these first initial dozens of users that we had. Maybe quickest side note here, Danielle was an online teacher at that point. So she was part of the community. Mm -hmm. so that was that was kind of where this came from she knew who these people were that we were solving the problems for so she had access to Facebook groups where those people hung out so we could kind of plant links there to the business so people would come from these groups use it and then communicate about it back on social media with their peers and we jumped into these conversations and we tried to amplify them as kindly as we could somebody Mm -hmm. asked a question I don't know is this a good tool We would say well it might be a good tool for you here's what we want to do if you don't like it that that's perfectly fine. Can we help you in any other way? Just be present, be friendly, be kind. And from the beginning, we created this. It wasn't just an semblance of us being present. We were present for everybody, every user, every prospect that might use the the tool. We were so present that they thought, wow, this is something very different from how we see businesses interact with Mm -hmm. us. This is something we might want to check out. So, Mm The biggest thing we did from the start was to have a community presence in the community that we were serving outside of just talking about our business. We just right. try to help people that mm. that is what we wanted right and that was really what we wanted because they
0: were online teachers they need all the help they can get and the 30day trial did that naturally lead to some paid customers. Yeah, like the,
1: one, one of my most uh, favorite anecdotes of, of Feedback Panda is that I hadn't even changed out the Stripe test key to the production key when the first person tried to subscribe. Like they literally couldn't pay us because we were still using the test configuration right. for Stripe. I quickly right. changed that and I allowed them, Like they, I think within six or five days after starting their 30-day trial, they wanted to pay. That's how quickly uh, we had the the loop, which also meant we could have probably condensed it to seven days trial, but why would we, right? Like if people need more time, why not? We even had a trial extension. Like we had a 14 day trial extension if people didn't have enough value perceived in the 30 days, because margin costs were zero, essentially for that little data that they had in the database, didn't really matter. But yeah, we (laughs) we quickly found uh, that people really wanted to pay for the product. And of course we encouraged that, but um, we didn't push it. And like we never pushed people into it because we knew the people we were serving had really low budget, like right. the price was 10 bucks a month, and that was already a lot for them. So we tried to
0: accommodate the specific sensibility and the price elasticity of that niche from the beginning. right So you know what's crazy to me as I hear this story is that all MRR is not equal, mm-hmm. right? Like, for example, if you're a convert kit and you're charging you and me, you know, we have business revenue. Yep. So... You know that's different, right? Yeah. As opposed to charging teachers, because my yeah. wife's a teacher, and I, I know very well about so the budgetary constraints and how like they don't have business cards yeah. and, and shit they, like that. It's all they don't think cards. of
1: themselves as a business either.
0: Right. You have to and tell so, them, hey, this is actually tax deductible yeah. if you want to. Right. right. Like, but, this, but they don't they don't think of it that way. So yeah. th- their gut goes to like this is my personal expense, and so getting people who are price sensitive like that to pay. Ten bucks, I think, roughly, mm-hmm. right, monthly yeah. to build a behemoth of fifty-five k mrrs. It was a lot of crazy. people. <laughs> Easy, yeah. like you said, five thousand plus yeah. people, man. Congrats, once again, yeah. because it's not every mrr is equal. Yeah, like you crazy. know, if, I, if you got forty mid-level Speed companies paying like four ninety-nine, uh, four hundred ninety-nine yeah. dollars per month, you may be the same number, but like it's not the same. You had to earn a lot of respect a lot of, you had to get a lot of social capital first. Yeah, uh, before you the in
1: particular. Yeah. yeah, yeah. but these people, uh, these teachers, we we had to build a reputation for being yeah. trustworthy. Mm-hmm. We, we didn't have anything to, like just couldn't like lure them in, right? There, there was yeah. no, it had to be person to person. And the community helped like being present in the community, allowed the community to talk about it in a positive way, about us to involve us in things, bring more people on, onto the radar or us onto their radar. It was a community effort and I'm really fortunate it was because it was a really enjoyable thing. Like ever mm. since then I've been seeking community for
0: that reason. Because I that right. this was the best group of people I ever hung out with. Our customers at that point it was right. cool. That's awesome. So if one was building a brand new bootstrap SaaS company in one of the one of the niches, one of the communities, how should they think about time as a factor? Like, how long will it take? How many months and mm-hmm. years should one dedicate to that pursuit? Because <laughs> I feel like a lot of people mm-hmm. are on, 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 put themselves on pressure Yeah. because they don't know what it, how long it may take. So they're like, it's taking too long for me or it's taking not too long for me. Like, what, what, what would be a reasonable guidance for them? That's an unanswerable
1: question, and I will answer it right now. Now, problem is you never know if you're there with the right idea at the wrong time, with the wrong idea at the wrong time, the wrong idea at the right time, but different idea would have been good, right? It's, it's like... you So many things have, have to come together. It, it also needs you to have the right perspective on what a bootstrap business is. Because mm. if you think that, wow, once this takes off, I'm going to do this, well, then you approach your way to the... Take off point very differently than if you say, I'm going to keep this a side project. This is one of my many small bets that I'm making. And if it works, cool, I'm going to dedicate more time. If that makes it work even better, I'm going to de- dedicate even more time, maybe hire somebody to just help me with that so I can still have my other bets in the running. Your perspective on how you want to build your entrepreneurial portfolio, that might be one thing or multiple things, depends on how you approach it. Daniel Vassalo, you mentioned it. Many small bets is his approach. Then you would have people like Andrew Gastecki who might say, well, if you, have your, if you have one good idea, you really go at it. Like you, you are in between these two perspectives and you can take any point on the continuum, but you have to figure out how you want to approach your entrepreneurial journey. That's maybe mm. the important first choice. And then you have to see which of these ideas can even be validated. To me, mm. validation, we talked about it a couple minutes ago. The term itself is complicated because like, if you look at the theory of theory, you will understand that you can't even validate a theory. You can only invalidate it and you can Mm. try to find invalidation methods for a long time. And if you don't find anything, it's likely that it's a valid theory. But you're only one unfound counterexample away from invalidating any theory, right? Mm. That's kind of the idea behind this. Um, I think it's, uh, what is it, Niklas Luhmann or something. Like uh, in sociology, you have the whole logic of theory and that stuff. The idea is that validation itself is almost impossible. You can only try to invalidate things quickly to get to the thing that is hard to invalidate so it might just be valid. That is an approach that helps every single founder. Try to find why this won't work instead Mm. of hoping that you will find a way for this to work. The more you don't find ways that it won't work, the better it likely is for you to keep going. Mm. So it's more framework approach really than it's really about uh, knowing how many months this might take. Because your market decides if it's ready or not. You Mm. can't influence that. The only thing you can do is to modify, first off, how you look at this. Like, is this a side project that I can just sustain for a year or two if I have to? Or do I have a runway of six months and I need to make this happen? Mm -hmm. And if you're in that, Camp like if you need to do this in six months, it's likely not going to work right. because right. like the more pressure you put on yourself to make this happen, the less likely it becomes that it organically isn't that
0: isn't one of the key things about entrepreneurship though because I think in other pursuits like if I for example. If I give myself six months of time and want to be jacked, mm-hmm. I feel like I could do that. I mean, not me, but like someone could do that. Or if someone like, <laughs> oh, I want to give myself six months of time and want to be a better filmmaker, you yeah. could do that. If I want to give myself six months of time and then I want to be a better, I don't know, opera singer, I guess you could do that. Like if you like dedicate eight hours a day. Yeah. I think entrepreneurship is so tricky that it's not linear like that. It's not predictable that way, where you can just yeah. say, "I'm going to spend six months." There's no proof that you're going to come off with uh, Peter levels, like nomad list kind of idea, you know, That's with right. that kind of attraction. You yeah, may the, learn very a lot, good point. Like,
1: I mean, yeah. with the examples we gave for opera singers, I think if you you have these these discrete points of measurement where people can yeah. tell you if you're good or not, like yeah. if you can can sing, I don't know, La Boheme or or some like some, some particular opera in a good way, like people will notice that and they can tell you if it's good or not. But right. with the business, huh, right? Yeah. A business is so unclear just as a term itself and it can be anything. If you sing opera and you sing an opera that nobody has ever heard before, they don't even know what it is. Like, is, right. did, did the person just make this up on the spot, right? Like, right. th- there, that's not the same. Or cooking, right? You can become a real good chef and then somebody yeah. tells you, make me a good steak. Well, yeah. they will eat the steak and they will tell you if you're a good chef or not, right? right. They will be very clear if you are or if you're not so with entrepreneurship I
0: this, this is yeah no this is a great because the reason I'm even bringing this up is if you go to indie hackers forums and like just general conversation around this people say like oh I spent two years on an idea I'm like that it just it's like it doesn't matter yeah. like you could spend two days or two years Yeah, if the market doesn't want your solution that's the truth so there's the people assume the sunk cost fallacy or like they like they just think that, oh, I spent eight years on this or I mean, not eight years, but like two years on this or eight months on this. Hence, I should keep going. And I think it's it's business is more brutal than that. Like, you know, it's more ruthless. If people don't like, you know, what permanent link is doing. They will not buy. Yep. It doesn't matter if you, you know, crafted this thing for four yeah, years true. in your garage. It doesn't matter.
1: That is true. I think, yeah, that, that's again, it, even within our community, we only celebrate the hero stories. Yeah. Like we talked about the Teals and the Musks earlier. Yeah. Now we're talking about the levels, right? And yeah. Peter Levels is just one of hundreds of thousands of founders who are trying to make it and he yeah. has success and we take his example instead yeah. of taking the example of the other 20,000 people just like us at the same level yeah. that we're at, trying to figure things out and yeah. not knowing what they're doing, right? Yeah. Like that, Those are the people we should look at and say, okay, I guess everybody's struggling. That's yeah. normal here, right? That's It's really what we look at and what we compare ourselves to. And one rule right. that I have found that makes me more serene in how I approach my life is never compare myself to anybody but myself yesterday that's really what it is because there are lots of people who have way more listeners on their podcast than i have way more viewers on their youtube channel way more twitter followers way more meh 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 doesn't matter probably but not to me like i don't need this in my life i don't need this comparison so And,
0: and also it's like you know somebody once said this and i thought it was brilliant they said like if you're envious of someone's one particular aspect you should be like you don't get to pick and choose. It's like a onesie. Yeah. yeah. If I want Arvid calls MRR or Twitter followers, then I have to get everything else along with yeah. his life, along with the trauma, whatever he had going yeah. Yeah. Right. on. You get, all get of my that. burnout. You get it's my, my yeah, you burn burnout out. as well. Enjoy. Yeah. It's everything. So you don't get to pick and choose you know, certain things. All right. So I got two questions and then we can wrap it up. Sure. What's one startup you would start today if you aren't doing what you're doing right now? You know, you're into content and media you have a little bit of bandwidth that you're working on the sas tool the i would link.
1: i would probably go into podcasting automation tooling i just yeah. just a couple days ago of this recording or yesterday i guess after this recording chat gpt and whisper like OpenAI, open up apis yeah. for their their big ai tools and i think like if i had the The time and willingness, I would build tools for podcasters just like myself because dogfooding is the way to go about it. Dogfooding is the way to go. That would help me record podcasts, like do interviews better automate things, like do automatic analysis of the conversation as it's happening, telling me what questions to ask next or what things to kind of pull on more, what things not to talk about. There is so much AI-based interesting opportunity out there. I would definitely use these APIs at this point to integrate it into
0: just things that were not possible before that right. would go into that world. Alright. last one is reflecting on three big mistakes or any number of mistakes you made in the zero to f- 55 MRR joint, like basically bootstrapping that company. What do you remember as some mistakes you made?
1: Like one was fairly formal. I founded the business, like the, the entity around the company in my name only, even though I co-founded it with Danielle, but she was still doing her job and we kind of had to pull her in as a co-founder, shareholder later. That was stupid, cost a lot of money and was just me trying to do things quickly. Even though when it comes to like, Formal things like this, you should do them right the first time. Otherwise, it just comes back to bite you. So, get the the legal setup right from the start that you want in that business. You can always adjust it later, which we did. But if you do it right from the start, it just reduces the amount of time you have to talk to lawyers or the tax authorities, all that kind of stuff. Just makes your life a little bit easier. So, that's, that's just like a formal mistake I made. One of the biggest ones was not to hire people to help. That was a great Mm. mistake that I made then. You contractors, you mean, right? Yeah, and anybody, like contractors for part-time work, for just project-based work, or for just uh, to be on a retainer if there is is anything. Could have hired many people in many capacities in that way. I hired zero because I thought, hey, if it's not worth a full 40 hours of work a week, I'm not gonna hire anybody. For some reason, that was my perspective. And that caused a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, because everything was kind of falling back on my shoulders. That contributed to the burnout, which essentially, yeah, cost us to sell the business, which is not a bad thing, but probably could have run it a little bit longer and sold it for a little bit more. And it's always the kind of story you tell yourself, but should have hired. Definitely. That is my, my second big mistake. And honestly, I don't really have a third one that comes to mind, but uh, you make you a lot made, of little mistakes.
0: customer away. facing like marketing campaigns, you should have run a, or- would have mm. run or would like to have run. Um, yeah. Um, SEO. Like, did you do a lot of SEO? We did not.
1: Like, we we didn't do any content marketing really outside of a newsletter. No search engine optimization. We didn't do any paid ads either. We, th- we should have probably tried that a little bit more because that's even though we you didn't do paid ads at 55k an hour, that's No, crazy. we didn't do any paid ads at all. All our marketing oh. was completely organic. Wow. We eventually implemented a referral system that kind of helped a little bit more even though people were already referring it without our or ask, it was very community driven and paid ends may have reduced their perceptiveness (laughs) to community work so I don't really know but we could have probably tried it we could have expanded a little bit into different industries that might have made the business itself more resilient to the change that then at some point came and after we sold the business kind of caused it to fall apart but that is not my mistake (laughs) I guess at least uh, you know it's something that, uh, that the acquirer could have considered and put resources into
0: but no like marketing wise it was very like, community-centric, like, is- coming there, right? Like th- that was CCP being CCP. Like you can't just you can't predict yeah. that that kind of well, shit. You like know, Ch- China decided
1: from one day to another that uh, their children in China were not allowed to learn online or to study online after nine p.m. That was the rule. Like for some reason, they just made that or eight p.m. or something, something <laughs> like early evening, and that was a rule they made, and that meant that all Americans yeah. who were online teachers for whom yeah. that was like the afternoon where. After their regular day job, they would have done some more work, were now incapable of doing their work because they would have had to do it at like two in the morning where they slept. You know, so it's just they they completely by doing a very unilateral thing destroyed the economy that came of that. Yeah, it was was spectacularly sad.
0: Yeah, for for the kids
1: and teachers as well, because you know there there are relationships formed there. These kids, these Chinese kids, learning how to speak English online—that was kind of the the teacher crowd we were serving. They were super cute, and they loved talking to people over the internet and learning a new language in the process. There were relationships formed, like friendships and like families, were exchanging information and stuff, and all of that just fell apart once Mm -hmm. the new legislation came in.
0: Crazy, but anyway, all in all, thanks for sharing you know, Pleasure. your lessons, your insights, some, you know, reflections on your mistakes, you know, <laughs> yeah. that, this, this is fun. This is awesome. Thank you so much. And where can people find more about you? I'm going to plug you nonstop in the, in the, in the show notes, but <laughs> is there actually one, where can people find you, which, you know, I would love to give you a chance to plug, but also any parting thoughts around people who might be on the bootstrap journey, you know, who might have the same aspiration that You know, they want to go from an idea to a million dollar exit. So right now we're at a time where it's going to be harder
1: than it was a couple years ago, just really from the the whole economic perspective. People, There's always an order of services that somebody cancels, right? Imagine you have to save money, so you cancel the things that are least important. And then you cancel the things that are not as unimportant as that, but still not important. So the last thing to cancel is your database that you pay for, your payment provider that makes you money. The first thing you cancel is probably some analytics tool that gives you a nice little dashboard for things to look at. So if you build a business, you probably want to move the criticality of your business more towards the last thing to be canceled than Mm. to be some vanity project that somebody kind of pushes some money in because they have too much laying around. Because Mm. nobody has money laying around at this time. So there will be more pressure on you to solve very critical problems which in itself becomes more of a you know mentally challenging task because building critical infrastructure means you have to be there all the time you have to spend a lot of energy into convincing people that you're trustworthy where with a vanity project you could just say yeah it's a little joyful tool here 10 bucks a month that's it right so that is going to be harder now it will be different once people have more money to waste on little projects that you can just get started at so maybe consider starting out with building plugins for existing platforms like Shopify or WordPress or Heroku, where people are already running their infrastructure, their critical infrastructure, and they need certain specific little tasks solved that they will... Pay like five or 10 or 15 bucks a month, or 20 or 30, depending on the size of the task you solve. It's kind of a mix of something that is not as critical, but it is part of a critical infrastructure. So, you know, it, it gets you into this, into the revenue mode where you can make money off a little project. Then you just increase that and then you outsource it into your own SaaS or whatever. That's kind of the path that I would suggest is to go for platforms first. Don't try to build a vanity
0: project. They probably won't make much money at this point. Right. No, I think that's incredibly practical you know, and given the macro climate right now. And overall, I think it's just always good advice to have very little dependency on like, sorry, to focus more on must-have, you know, was just nice to have use cases, right? So So, the painkiller vitamin thing, like people will buy vitamins too if they have
1: already spent money on their Mm painkillers and still have some left over, right? That's kind of the idea. That's always great advice. Awesome.
0: Thank you so much, Arvid. Folks can follow you at arvid call
1: that's right follow me on twitter because that's apparently where i hang out all day <laughs> yeah. that's really what it
0: is you, and but you also run this incredible website called the bootstrap that's that's wait quite. is there bootstrapped or yes. bootstrapper no bootstrapped bootstrapped all right good You should probably
1: and buy the other domain as well but
0: yeah, you should get it, it to yeah. all right yeah, awesome was, thank was, you so
1: much arvid thanks, thanks so, arvid. so much it was, was awesome